that's the big thing. It makes me better at what I do if I can properly teach it. And I believe that for everybody. If you're on that path and it's time to actually get good at something, well, then it's also time to teach it. Welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast, and happy International Day of Forests. I'm your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I talk with Jeff Seckendorf. Jeff is the founder of United Team Diving, or UTD Scuba Diving, which is a successful global scuba training and certification agency. In addition, Jeff is a flight instructor, filmmaker, and lifelong adventurer, but at his core, Jeff is an educator. As a result of the pandemic, Jeff also started Coach Me Strong, which is an exercise coaching company for people with Parkinson's disease or other neurological diseases, or even people who are just getting a little older in age. Jeff has a powerful documentary titled, It Seems Like Magic, But It's Science, where a group of 10 individuals, three with Parkinson's disease, make their way to Mount Everest Base Camp. Our conversation ranges from how UTD scuba diving got started, to Jeff's involvement in the Parkinson's community, and even all the training he's doing to set a new record in his age group in cycling. Jeff clearly has a very diverse and interesting background, with each facet intertwining and playing a role into who he is as a person and the things he contributes to the world. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes to stay updated on all the exciting things Jeff has in the works. With all that in mind, just sit back, relax, and get ready for Jeff Seckendorf's journey as an educator. All right. So welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. And first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat with me today. Oh, thanks. No, that's great. Really glad to be here. Yeah, no, I'm super excited. And it is almost overwhelming how many things you're involved in. But in short, I'd say you're an educator, filmmaker, flight instructor, scuba instructor trainer, and overall just lifelong adventurer. But let's start with the scuba diving aspect of your life. I know you started United Team Diving or UTD Scuba Diving right around 12 or 13 years ago, which is a successful global scuba training and certification agency. Can you talk a little about what inspired you to start that venture to begin with? Yeah, you know, Eric, it, I'll, it's sort of serendipitous, each of these steps. And it, it seems like I've done a lot, but I've had a lot of time so far <laughs> to do all these, you know, really kind of cool different things. And I just seem to find, you know, the ability to go from one to the other in a really fun way. But, you know, I was in the film industry for like 30 something years and spent probably half of that trying to figure out how to get out. <laughs> so I had a cool job in the film business. I was a director of photography and a director cameraman on commercials. And I did like a thousand commercials and a bunch of movies and music videos and all that. Super fun. But, you know, my full-time job, of course, was looking for work. And <laughs> right. part-time part-time job was working. So, you know, I was, spent years trying to figure out what would be a cool thing to do to get me out of the film business. And the way it actually worked was that I was looking for an education project. So teaching has kind of always been part of each of the things I've done. I've taught in the film industry. I'm a flight instructor, as you said, and, you know, I'm an instructor trainer in scuba. And so I've always been sort of focused on education. And so just through a bunch of weirdness, one of my instructors ended up with the idea that he, we would, he was going to form a scuba training agency from ground zero. And I just happened to be standing there and it's like, well, that sounds like fun. I'll help. <laughs> and that was 13 years ago. So, 
you know, we, we wrote all the content and we created pretty much the first scuba training agency that was all online for education. We built a custom database, you know, we've trained instructors all over the world. And, uh, but it was, it was really an education. It was the education piece of it that really drew me. If somebody came to me and said, you know, I want to do a company and teach people how to do rocket science or brain surgery or, you know, <laughs> tire changing. I probably would have said yes to whatever just came up on that day. So it, <laughs> it just happened to be scuba. And, you know, I was an instructor and loved to dive. And it's, you know, it's a big part of my life. But but really, it was it was just about the idea of being able to create this sort of global education program and, and see what spun off of it as we went. So that was, yeah, that was, as you said, it was 2008, we did that. And it's, I bought the company out from my partner a couple of years ago. So now I'm running it solely and it's awesome. So it's, it's unified team diving or UTD scuba diving. We're not, we've, we've changed the name over. Nice. Yeah, no, I, I love that story. And yeah, and what I've been gathering from you just from doing research and listening to the other podcast interviews and everything is that education has always been at your core and scuba diving just happened to be kind of the intermediary that you went through to educate, which I think is really cool. So you mentioned before, so you were, did you have some previous experience as a scuba instructor when this opportunity came up? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was a scuba instructor, technical diver, Okay, you know, pretty advanced along the way, even at that point. So it wasn't, it wasn't a big stretch to do it in scuba. It just happened Mm -hmm. to be, you know, that's the thing to do on the moment. So yeah, that's where it went. (laughs) I just wanted to make sure it wasn't a scenario to where like, okay, quick, I got to learn how to scuba dive because my friend's starting this. Venture, but... <laughs> yeah, no, I think that would probably not have worked. <laughs> be like, wow, that was really successful. You got. <laughs> I know. You know, we call that zero to hero. and We, we, yeah. we, we don't like it. <laughs> you know, we want people to take time. Um, no, yeah. So you had that base knowledge. That's that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, if it was brain surgery or rocket science, it probably would have taken me a little longer to figure it out. <laughs> right. Like, like, give me a few months to figure this out, and then we'll. <laughs> so perfect. Now, from what I've been gathering in my research, is that you brought something unique to the table with UTD scuba diving, with the industry's first coaching program, which reinvented the way people learn to dive. So, can you explain how your tactics are different than the standards in the scuba industry, or at least what they were when you first started? Yeah, so we started as a boutique training agency. We were a group of technical and cave divers who basically didn't believe in the way diving was being taught currently, and in a lot of cases still. Mm-hmm. So we built this agency on the idea that we'll take the most complex dive we can come up with, right? A deep cave, technical scooter, rebreather, whatever it is, and back it up until we could actually use the same concepts and the same tenets and teach it to you know, day one, open water, recreational divers, you know, Hmm. just, so we created this very consistent model for training where our open water students on day four sort of look like our very advanced technical diving students because they're doing the same thing with team diving, consistent gear, you know, proper emergency procedures, consistent gas planning, all that kind of stuff. So Hmm. we built that in, but still we had this whole industry-wide piece of it, which was learning to dive in a transactional class, you know, a a four-day class, a six-day class, an eight-day class, whatever it happens to be. And through my life as an athlete and as an educator, I just thought that, you know, we're rushing and there's no need to rush. 
You know, this is lifestyle stuff we're talking about. It's fun. It's, you know, we're teaching recreation. We're teaching people to enjoy the environment, to love the ocean. There's no reason we have to cram this into four days. Mm -hmm. So I took, this was just a couple of years ago after I bought out the company. I took the model that I use as a bicycle racer with my coach and I applied that to scuba diving. So a lot of it's semantics, right? We took the students and we started calling them clients and we took the instructors and we started calling them coaches. And then I grabbed a piece of software, which is the same software I use, you know, on my, my training as a cyclist. And we built mm -hmm. a workout library and a calendar and ability to communicate with the coaches. And we started getting clients and we stretched out this process of learning to dive at the open water level from four days to like four months, six mm -hmm. months. And then, you know, we continue to take on clients at all these different levels. And the idea is that certification becomes secondary to the training and the process. And it's just been an amazing program because nobody's in a hurry. Mm -hmm. You know, people pay a small monthly fee and they get access to the coach. We give them workouts. I'm doing air quotes here. Workouts, <laughs> which are basically chapters, you know, podcasts, videos, things like that. They get assignments. So, you know, they're charged this week. I've got most of my clients recording lectures on ascent profiles. Because I think the only way you can really prove that you understand something is to teach it. So I've got mm -hmm. them all trying to teach it now. It's so much fun. It's really <laughs> fun. And it's been working beautifully. So we have this program that, you know, it's first of its kind as far as we know. And it's really successful. People come into the program. They do their thing. If they reach a certification level, we certify them. But that's not the goal. The goal is to mm -hmm. to train them as great scuba divers, great environmentalists, safe people in the water and, and so on. So that's been, it's been a crazy awesome. I just, I just love this. No, that's, that's so awesome. And I, I love that approach so much. And I love that you defined it too, as just a, a coaching experience. And I mean, I, I coached cross country for um, middle school for uh, several years. I was an assistant coach and it's, it's such a rewarding experience, and I, I love that kind of tactic and approach that you do to where it's not just to get a certification. It's, it's uh, more long-term than that, and it's almost teaching the, the safety, the lifestyle, and everything that goes with it. So that's, that's really interesting. And Now, earlier today, I was actually just listening to Episode 5 of your podcast, UTD Scuba Diving, and the episode entitled, What Are Your Scuba Diving Goals?, and in there, you brought up a really interesting point about how there's no major metric with scuba diving to measure growth or success. And uh, like I'm a runner myself, and we talked about it a little bit in the pre-recorded conversation. So time obviously plays a massive role in something measurable where I can see where I'm at from a fitness standpoint. But what aspects of scuba diving, I guess, give you fulfillment? And this can be from either a teaching or personal perspective. So if I recall from that episode, we were trying to figure out what is the metric. For mm -hmm. something like diving. Now, you know, when we teach instructors, there are some metrics, right? We can go into the water and say, okay, you have, you know, buoyancy parameters where you can't go up and down more than six inches in either direction, right? 12 centimeters. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's not, that's not really appropriate to daily diving. Whereas right. for you, you know, you can do splits 
in a long race and you kind of know where you are. For me as a cyclist, I can do, you know, splits mm -hmm. on the track or I can look at, you know, pacing and things like that. So we couldn't come up with this and we couldn't come up with it. And finally, one of our instructors said, you know, I think that the metric is satisfaction. Yeah. And we all kind of like, oh, well, that's kind of a good idea. And so <laughs> that's where we are with it in a lot of cases in scuba diving for us. It's like the metric on success is satisfaction. Are you enjoying it? Are you satisfied with your progress? Are you satisfied with your training? Are you satisfied with your travel? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's an interesting metric. And I have that on the bike in a lot of cases, too. And it, in some cases, you know, I, I had this conversation with my cycling coach just in the past day or two because – there's a lot of cycling to me that's involved socially, right? My wife rides a bike. We have a group we ride with. And, and you know, I, I go to the track and I ride with these friends and it's cool. But it's not always productive when we talk about a, a training program, right? So to take a couple of days off and go tool around on a bike and have some fun doesn't always line up with, you know, our goals as making me faster, getting me ready for races and things like that. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it, it's a really interesting model where you take satisfaction. So I, in cycling, I have to be satisfied with the training. Yeah. Right. That's the goal. I have to be satisfied with the process or it won't work. So, but that's the metric that we're using. And it, I think it's a cool metric. Yeah. I mean, does it work for you as a runner? <laughs> no, it, it does. And and honestly, like, and we were talking a little bit in the pre-recorded conversation as well about how I want to run a marathon in all 50 states. And since I, I graduated college, I mean, I, I'm definitely not as fast as I was when I was in college, but I'm having the time of my life doing this. I mean, I'm traveling to all these really cool locations and running these marathons and just soaking in the culture and the scenery. And I'm having a blast doing it. And that's kind of become my new metric as opposed to the times. I mean, the times are nice. And once in a while, it kind of forces me to reach a certain time if I want to do certain races, if I want to qualify for certain ones. I mean, it still plays a role. But yeah, the metric of, of satisfaction is definitely very important to me too. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad you were able to make that consensus with, with scuba diving. Because I feel like that's you know what it's all about. It's just, are you having fun at the end of the day? For many, many years, I've been interested in the idea of process and outcome, mm -hmm. both in sports and in, in this case, scuba diving or whatever, where whatever you, if, if you do a process that leads to an outcome and you really do the process as prescribed, outcomes become inevitable. So, you know, if you're training for, you, you know, whatever, you want to do a 40-minute 10K or something like that or a 45-minute 10K, mm -hmm. you know, if you do the prescribed workouts for that over a period of time, right? Intervals, base training, strength training, all that other stuff. Generally, through history, coaches know if you do this, your result will be this. So if you do the process, the outcome becomes inevitable. Yeah. But in order to get that inevitable outcome, you have to love the process. <laughs> you know, it, sometimes it's really hard, you know, to go out on a day you don't feel great and do intervals, you know. Oh, for but, sure. But that's the cool part of this whole lifestyle thing and the coaching thing and all that is we've really gotten it to a point where it's all process oriented. And if in scuba, if somebody gets to a certification and they get their outcome, awesome. Mm -hmm. If they don't awesome. If they need the outcome because they need a card to go do something, then we get them that, you know, mm -hmm. but it becomes still part of the process. So, For sure. Yeah. And, and loving the process truly is really important. I mean, just from a runner's perspective, I mean, you really have to 
you know, appreciate the, or not even really appreciate, but you have to trust the process and be willing to do all of these different workouts and mundane things with the faith and the hope that it's going to get you where you want to be, you know, from a time or fitness standpoint. That's definitely important. Or you have to do something else, right? Right. I did triathlons for many years. And then one day I just decided I am done training by myself five days a week. <laughs> I just couldn't do it anymore. It's like I'm, I'm running twice a week. I'm swimming twice a week. I'm riding my bike three times a week and I'm doing 95% of it by myself. And it was like, this just isn't fun anymore. <laughs> And, you know, I just stopped and I just focused on the bike in a more social scenario. And, mm-hmm. and I was really glad to have done that because, you know, it just it just wore me out. Yeah. You know, that kind of process, when the process became not fun, the outcome became irrelevant. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And actually speaking of fun, uh, from looking at your pictures, I, you take me as quite the traveler. Now, I'm not sure if you're this type of diver or not, but do you have a favorite spot to go scuba diving or bucket list destination you've always wanted to go explore for scuba diving? Uh, you know, I have this weird thing where I like to teach diving. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a gazillion dives all over the world. And so I think that the dives that make me the happiest now are the little simple reef dives, you know, with my wife who loves to dive where we're 20 or 30 feet and we're swimming around and we're having fun Mm -hmm. and there's no stress and no pressure. Those are the dives that I just love. And it doesn't really matter where they are. You know, we've, we've been so many places and used, used, have used diving as a a way to travel that I just think it's, to me, it's just really more about the lifestyle than it is about a specific place. Now that said, Red Sea, awesome. Monterey, (laughs) California, awesome. Um, you know, I can go on and on the caves in Mexico, incredible, you know, the deep walls off of San Diego here. Fantastic. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's lots of great places to go, but it's where do you have the most fun? And for me, the the least stress, because, you know, I, I work in diving every day, my the dives I do recreationally, I want them to be super fun. Yeah. No, and that, and that definitely plays a huge role for sure. It, just the overall camaraderie and experience that you have during your dives. I mean, I identify a lot of that with running as well because, you know, I, I have different races to where I'll have the most fun and, and some of these very, I guess, desolate and intimate places just for the sheer experience of it itself or just something along those lines. So, no, that that definitely makes a lot of sense. And now... Fast forward to the past few years, I know you started Coach Me Strong as a result of the pandemic, which is an exercise coaching company for people with Parkinson's disease and other neurological diseases, or even for people who are just getting a bit older, which you refer to as Gen O slash W for older, wiser. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that too. I was going <laughs> to... Yeah. Right when I read yeah. that, I was like, oh, that's clever. <laughs> yeah, Gen O W. <laughs> oh, man. Because who wants to be called like a baby boomer anymore, right? You know, we're in the right. 60s. It's like, forget about it. It's the best way to describe it right there. I might have... <laughs> Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm going to start referring to other people like that, Jen. Well, I just re- I just defined me, right? I just like <laughs> I looked at me and said, "What do I want to be called?" And it's like, All right, well, <laughs> right? There's one. That's that's a good way to do it, though. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what your experience was like starting a new company as a result of the pandemic, and how did the experience of this startup compare to UTD scuba diving? Oh, that's a really good question. So there are two reasons I think to start a small business. Mm-hmm. One is because you're passionate about something and you're willing to 
create a business and ram your product down the throats of anybody who will listen. <laughs> That's A. And B is you find a niche, you have a talent, and you fill the niche. So UTD scuba diving is A. We started the company not having clients, not having an idea how to get them. And for 12 years, we've been ramming our ideas down the throats of anybody who will listen. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and the company has been successful, but it's successful because, you know, we're pounding on that nail every single day. Mm-hmm. Coach Me Strong is B, right? Coach Me Strong, there was a niche. We filled it, and that company was successful in like three weeks. It was crazy how it started. I do a lot of work for the Parkinson's community. It's kind of the, you know, the, the place I've chosen to put my, my good work in the world. Mm-hmm. And I was at a board meeting of the local Parkinson's Association in San Diego when the pandemic started. And in Parkinson's, the only therapy that's known to slow the progression of Parkinson's, which is a degenerative, progressive neurological disease, mm-hmm. is exercise. So when Parkinson's patients stop exercising their disease progresses exponentially. It's weird. It's just the way the body responds to this loss of dopamine, which is what Parkinson's is all about. Mm -hmm. So I'm in this meeting and one of the doctors was saying that, you know, when the gyms, this is right after the pandemic started, things locked down, the gyms were closing, programs were closing, even parks were closing, the ocean was closed here in, in California. And she was saying that her patients are just falling apart because they don't have any structured exercise. And, you know, I can't ever sit still. So I said, you know, I've got this coaching model that I'm using in scuba and I'm a coached athlete. I understand, you know, for 10 years I've been coached as an athlete. I could put these two things together and have a coaching program for people with Parkinson's in like five minutes. Mm-hmm. And they were all, yeah, go do it. So I grabbed a partner from the board at the Parkinson's Association, and the two of us built this thing out. And inside of literally a couple of weeks, we had a name, we had a website, we had a few coaches locally who were willing to come on. We had a couple of built-in clients who we convinced to start. We made it affordable for people. And and that was two years ago. And it's it's been going great guns ever since. And it's such a, such a simple model, Eric. It's, I can't begin to tell you. It's the simplest. <laughs> I can't believe nobody else is doing it. It's that simple. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like take the coaching model and, you know, define it for a niche who need it. Yeah, definitely. That's the whole story. It doesn't really go past that. I mean, nothing's <laughs> really changed in two years. We just, we do a little bit of marketing, lots of word of mouth. We continue to get clients. You know, I have a little bit of capacity left, but I need more coaches now. Mm-hmm. And the coaches are hard to find because they're people who've worked for a long time with people with Parkinson's, with movement disorders, with neurological challenges and things like that. So, you know, some of the coaches are physical therapists, some are kinesiologists, some are exercise physiologists, but it's tough to take a personal trainer who doesn't have that experience and just give them these clients. So we're, we're super unique in that we, we have a, a unique clientele and we have a unique team of coaches. Yeah. No, that's really awesome. I'm, I'm really glad you were able to have such early success with this new venture. And yeah, it, it, I mean, I've always been a firm believer too in like the power of exercise. And I was looking more into that in my research on you and everything for preparing these questions. And yeah, I stumbled upon that too, about how that's one of the known ways to slow down the progression of Parkinson's. So I, I love that you're able to combine that aspect, your coaching aspect into this kind of package 
And I guess speaking of, of crossover and all of the different backgrounds you're involved in, because we, we talked earlier about how you have a background in the film industry as well. And you, ha- you have the documentary, It Seems Like Magic, But It's Science, where a group of 10 individuals, three with Parkinson's disease, make their way to Mount Everest Space Camp to raise funds and awareness for a cell replacement project that could end the symptoms of Parkinson's. What was the whole experience like of making that documentary and getting to combine all of these different aspects of your life? So this is a series of treks that we've done. Everest Base Camp, Machu Picchu. We did Camino de Santiago recently. We have Dolomites scheduled, but I'm not sure how that's going to go because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And um, these are fundraisers for various projects. That one happened to be for a research project in, in stem cell, pluripotent stem cells. And, you know, when, when I was making big movies and big commercials, this is going to sound like a big ego thing, but it's not because <laughs> I'm not doing it anymore. So it couldn't have been all, couldn't have been that awesome. But, you know, I couldn't do anything without like, you know, three tractor trailers and 40 guys and a, and then, you know, a powerful espresso machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was just the way we worked, right? It was just, these were big projects. And so when I really finally worked my way out of the film business and, you know, have a lifetime of photography and, and motion photography, I still wanted to do something. And, you know, I had this, this, you know, this old SLR that did, that did video and it's like, well, let's just do some documentaries because I could do it by myself. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a competent editor and decent writer. And, you know, I know a little bit about audio, not enough, but so I was <laughs> able to actually, you know, do a couple of small projects on my own with no help or with, you know, somebody to help drag stuff around. And it was really fun. It was like a whole different animal. Mm -hmm. So when we, when the Everest base camp trek came up, it seemed like a really good opportunity to try something, you know, that was a stretch for me because I've never done a project that big, that long, that high up, you know, we ended up at 18,000 feet. And so, you know, I just started recording it. I just, you know, I got a camera and got a microphone and I just started recording. And I was so fortunate to um, engage an old, old buddy of mine, Chris Bruner, who is the editor, uh, the writer and editor on the documentary. And he came out of out of TV news for, for his career. And somehow I was able to convince him to do this, which took some some work. But... Chris did this amazing job putting this project together from, you know, the endless quantity of footage I recorded. And it turned out to be kind of an interesting movie about, you know, people challenging themselves to do things way beyond their level. Like you get people with Parkinson's disease who, you know, are wiggly, who have freezing of gait, who have, you know, you know, orthostatic hypotension, all these other crazy symptoms. And they're hiking at eight, 17,600 feet. It's just nuts, right? Yeah. Um, but it's so powerful to see that. And, you know, I just worked so hard and, and Chris did also to, to really capture the, you know, what that was like for some of these people. So I, I think we did a good job at it. And, you know, the movie still stands up. That research project has t- changed faces a couple of times um, and it's it's no longer in a nonprofit scenario. It actually went into a profit profit a for profit pharma company, you know, neuro pharma company. Mm. But it's still happening, and so hopefully that'll just still continue. Yeah, yeah. So it, it did a lot of good work, right? We raised a lot of money and 
brought a lot of awareness to it and got this cool movie done and and it was fun right yeah exactly i mean that's that's the important part at the end of the day is raising raising the money and awareness on you know on on this this whole endeavor and i actually just watched the documentary a few hours ago and it's oh you did oh awesome yeah it's very powerful and inspiring and a well-crafted story and yeah and and i know we touched on it previously and you mentioned um previously in our conversation but obviously you have a background in the the film industry as well you previously operated one-on-one film training for 10 years where you would mentor and coach uh, up-and-coming filmmakers in their quest to become quality visual storytellers. Have any of those mentoring elements carried over into what you currently do with UTD scuba diving and Coach Me Strong? Oh, yeah, all of it. All <laughs> of it, right? So a long time ago, somebody gave me a book called Mastery by a guy named George Leonard. And this was, you know, every once in a while you get a book that sort of pushes your life in a, in a new direction. And he talks a lot about the path to mastery. And, and so taking that material, I recommend everybody read this book. It's a short read, right? It's a two hour read. Mm. Um, and the book's still in print, but the idea is to master something, you have to teach it. That's just the way it works. So there's this process of a path to mastery that goes from discovery where you learn about something to some training where you get better at it to practice and then it culminates in teaching where you actually get to this point of being able to properly explain to a new person what's going on and what this what the concept is and what you're trying to do. So this idea of always teaching in whatever industry or vocation I was in at the time was always sort of part of my vision of myself getting good at something. So... You know, I, I became a private pilot. I ended up as a flight instructor. I became a scuba diver. I ended up as an instructor trainer. It's only been four or five of these things where, you know, I was, I was in the film industry. I taught for 20 years at the, the main media workshops, and then I started one-on-one film training. You know, these three or four events in my life where I've been able to take this vocation and add this educational element to it, and it anchors the content for me. That's the big thing. It makes me better at what I do if I can properly teach it. And I believe that for everybody, right? So if, you, if you're on that path and it's time to actually get good at something, well, then it's also time to teach it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly so glad that you brought up Mastery by George Leonard because I literally had that in my notes because I was listening to your, your podcast and of you earlier today on the speaking podcast where you referenced that book as well. And yeah, I, I pretty much immediately added it to my Goodreads list of books to read. It's rated really high and, and it's, it's definitely the type of book that I love reading. So I'll definitely have to give that a read. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Remember back in a million years ago, there was a book called um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance that changed the lives of a lot of people. Oh, I love that book. You know, again, it was a book on education. This is kind of a like that. It's kind of along those lines, except it's, you know, it's 100 pages and you can knock through it quickly. And it's really succinct and to the point. And there's lots of other things. I mean, I could talk about that book for two podcasts. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. And I'm glad you brought up Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, too, because that's a that's a very impactful book for me, too. I guess in addition to, to mastery, are there any sort of literary works or just people in general that you find inspirational? I lived next door to Leonard Cohen for a couple of years. Ooh. So, yeah, <laughs> there you go. You know, probably, the in my mind, one of the world's greatest mystics and and <laughs> poets ever. 
and uh, and I got to hang around with them a little bit. So that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> I would say that you know I'm not really starstruck, right? I've worked with a gazillion actors and things like that, but so <laughs> Leonard Leonard was a cool one. He's he's unfortunately no longer with us. Mm-hmm. There's two George Leonard Leonard Cohen. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, let's see. And I know you you mentioned it briefly previously as well, but you know I see you're also a coached athlete as well, racing a, a bicycle on the track at the national level. So, what characteristics do you think are important for a coach athlete to have, and also for a coach to have? Is there any crossover between the two, in your opinion? Well, I do both, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm terrible self coaching. <laughs> I think that's really interesting, right? I went through a period about over the past six months where I was self-coach, where I was between trying to figure out who was next. And um, for me, it's impossible. I just, you know, I can design programs, you know, in various industries and in fitness for other people, but I have a horrible time doing it for myself. So so mm. I guess if you ask me what, what one thing a coached athlete needs, it's objectivity, um, <laughs> you know, to be able to, to step back and, and listen objectively to somebody else, you know, in my case, telling me, what I don't know about my own body. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we're going through that now because I did, I started with somebody new last week and we're in the testing process, right? We're just in the, you know, learning what my body can do and, and how we're going to have to line up the training for the next, you know, probably year or so. Cause I am, I'm chasing a, an hour record in the, the 70 plus age group. So I've got a few years still to go, but mm-hmm. that's the goal is to how far can you ride your bike in one hour on a track? And I've done it once, you know, I did it in San Diego. I set an age group record here, but you know, that was a terrible result. It just happened to be a really incredible experience. It was a great experience, but you know, we learn, use that, that experience to actually kind of learn a lot about how to do this event. And the result was less important than the, than the process again. So, you know, for me as a coached athlete, I think the biggest thing I would say is I absolutely have to learn to listen and just shut up and do it. You know, <laughs> it's just that simple. Just be quiet, do the workouts and do them 110% every single time, which doesn't always mean going fast. Right. Right. I had a, I had a workout today that was a recovery ride. I'm supposed to do, you know, like 80 Watts for 20 minutes. It's almost impossible to ride a bike that slow. I mean, that would be like a walking pace for you. And I just kept looking down. It's like, oh, God, I'm doing 200 watts and it doesn't feel it. You know, So it, it's not always about going fast. It's often right. about going slow, right? Uh, yeah. God, no, so many good good points there. No, effort effort level plays a, a major component in it too. I've I've experienced the same thing after, you know, I'll do a tempo run or some sort of – or a cut down run or some sort of higher intensity workout – and I'd be disappointed with myself afterwards. I'm like, man, that felt so much harder. Why am I running these very subpar times? But, you know, I'd, then I'd turn around and then a few weeks later or so, like I'd, I'd run a great race or something. And it's like, well, I mean, you know, I was on track. I was there. It's just it's effort has a lot to do with it, too. And, yeah, uh, no, I, I didn't know that aspect about you not being a very good self-coach. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's endemic to athletes or it's endemic to me, um, <laughs> but it's just how I am. I did have this thought, though, you know, so I started, uh, what's today, Wednesday? So I started last Monday, 10 days ago with, with the new coach, and mm-hmm. I did my first super hard interval effort yesterday. 
And I just thought, awesome. Okay, there we go. Now I'm faster. I did one. Now I'm faster. <laughs> I had this thought that maybe I could just do it in one workout. Yeah. And then, of course, the reality is it's going to be two years of these workouts to get faster. Yeah. So. And no, um, best of luck to you and all of your training for that for that record in the, in the hour ride. That's that's incredibly impressive and just definitely a lot of discipline to be doing training for that for the next two years. Yeah, it's a mental game, right? It's the Yogi Berra line. What is mm-hmm. it? Uh, baseball is, what did he say? 90% mental and the other half is physical, something like that? Yeah, it's something along those lines. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. So I guess speaking, speaking of, of coaching and instructing and whatnot, like you mentioned previously, and, and I've mentioned as well, you, uh, fl- you're a flight instructor and scuba instructor trainer. Now, does your tactic for coaching change at all when it's two other instructors? I mean, how do you train other trainers? <laughs> so that's a really, really good question that I've, I've studied quite a bit because, you know, I teach instructor trainers in scuba and what I discovered early on was that these people coming into the program were all good divers, but not necessarily the best teachers. And the way we discover that is if someone is teaching someone to teach something, Okay, so at the instructor trainer level, this is a little confusing, but at the instructor trainer level, if you're teaching an instructor to teach somebody else, right? So there's three levels and you're you're three and then we're teaching two to teach number one. If that instructor candidate doesn't know how to teach someone to do something, then they teach the thing. Mm-hmm. So if they don't know how to teach the teaching, they teach the thing. Let me see if I can I can clarify that, right? So um, in scuba diving, we do a thing called a frog kick, right? Simple frog kick it, instead of a flutter kick, and it allows us to go forward without stirring up all the silt on the bottom, right? Because you don't kick down, you kick backward. If an instructor candidate, if an instructor trainer is teaching an instructor how to teach this frog kick but doesn't know how to teach the teaching, then they teach the thing. So it degenerates from teaching how to teach a frog kick to teaching the frog kick. Is that clear at all? Or is this just a jumble of words that you'll have to cut out of the podcast? <laughs> no, I'm, <good>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like trying to visualize this chart in my head. And I... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's confusing. But what happens in, in teaching instructors is it's important to teach teaching mm-hmm. and it's important not to teach the thing that is being taught. Yeah. So it's important to teach, you know, if you're coaching a, a running coach or better for me, it's a cycling coach, right? If I'm training a cycling coach and I don't know how to teach this person how to teach pedal technique, then I'm going to teach him pedal technique. I'm not going to teach him how to teach pedal technique. Hmm. So it backs up one. And, and we get all these instructor trainers who don't know how to teach instructors because all they do is when they don't know how to do it, they just teach diving mm. or they teach cycling or they teach running or something like that. This is where um, your audience is going to like, oh, God, I'm going to go get a, get, a, get a beer right now. <laughs> <laughs> because it is confusing when you start talking about it. But it's the truest thing for me in training trainers – or looking at training programs that could eventually train trainers is to make sure that when you teach, you're teaching the proper thing. Mm-hmm. 
going back to your question, how do you teach coaches? How do you coach coaches? Things like that. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. You make sure you're not teaching or coaching the thing that you're Mm. trying to teach them to teach or teach them to coach or coach them to coach. No, I I get what you're saying. I was like frantically scribbling notes. So So maybe you can, maybe you have a way to explain it. That's clearer than that. Because every time I have this conversation with anybody, it always goes, it it derails a little bit because it's like, that is so confusing. I cannot figure it out. It's about teaching, teaching. No, I think I get what you're saying. I mean, because it's one thing, it's one thing to excel at a different skill, but it's another thing to teach someone that skill or something like that. Like it's, I think it, it's important to know how to be an effective teacher and leader for somebody because kind of what I took away from it is there are some really great athletes that may not be great coaches. And there are some great coaches that may not be great athletes and vice versa. And there's something to gain, I guess, from both sides of it and something that each side can teach one another. And uh, hopefully I'm getting at kind of what you're saying. No, no, that's absolutely right. That's, that's absolutely right. So, so, you know, we've always said that there are no natural teachers, there are super passionate teachers, but I don't, I personally don't believe there are natural teachers. I think teaching is a craft yeah. and I think you can learn that craft and lay it on top of any intellectual property you want. So as long as you use the tools of proper communication, which is all teaching is, and, and you look at, you know, the basic foundation of education, which is creating a change in behavior of your students, then all you have to do is use the tools, Right. Create common ground. This is Socrates, right? You, the teacher can't teach the student anything unless the teacher and the student already know it. So mm-hmm. you've got to have common ground with somebody before you can explain anything. Building block education, super simple, right? Don't move forward until they understand the thing you're trying to tell them today. Using levels of learning, road understanding, application, correlation. There are all these different cra- parts of the craft of teaching that's very easy and very fast to teach to somebody. And show somebody who's a good athlete and make them a great coach, who's a good doctor and make them a great medical educator, who's a good mechanic and make them a great teacher of auto mechanics, things like that. You just have to know the tools and then be passionate about it. That's the, the art part. The art part is the passion. The actual teaching part is a craft and it's super easy to learn. Yeah. No, I agree with what you're saying for sure about it, a teaching being a craft and something that you really have to practice that and and learn these different tactics. I was actually just reading a book, I believe it was Instructions to the Cook, where it it had an aspect about teaching in there and kind of said something along the lines of you have to meet your students where they are type thing. And and from that, I kind of got just having that common ground with with who you're teaching and everything too, because I think that aspect's definitely important. I think it's the most important thing. I think lack of common ground is probably the most prevalent problem in all of education. I think if you walk into a lecture class in a college and somebody starts farther along than the students generally are, you're going to have a room full of people who are playing catch up. Mm -hmm. So you got to start at the basics. You got to connect people to something they, they feel like they understand and then build on that and build on that and build on that. So, and that works at every level, right? That works at, you know, an instructor teaching a skill. It works at a coach teaching a, you know, a lifelong program. It works for trainers teaching instructors. It works for instructor trainers teaching. It, it works on and on and on. You just have to have common ground. Yeah. No, I would agree with that completely. That's, that is a very important aspect of it that I feel like often gets overlooked or maybe not as 
focus on or embellished whenever someone's trying to teach a new craft or hone in on their teaching skills or something. So no, I, I, I agree with you completely. Well, you got to look at the reason people are teaching too. I think Eric, it's really important, right? So are you mm-hmm. teaching because you really believe in something and want to share it? Or are you teaching because of the ego of standing in front of a class, having people think you're smarter than them? Right. And if it's, if it's B, then there's, there's no point. Mm-hmm. There's just no point in doing it. Right. So, you know, if you're teaching because it's ego, then it's better to find another gig. Yeah. If you're teaching because you really love those, seeing those aha moments in your students and you learn more. And, you know, we, we've always said that, you know, in any case, the teacher learns a hundred, if the student learns 10 things, the teacher learns a hundred things. Mm-hmm. And it's true. So if you're doing it for all the right reasons, fabulous, keep doing it. If you're doing it for all the wrong reasons, go find another job. No, for sure. Is that harsh? Sounds harsh. No, no, I, I agree with you. And I'm I'm really glad you brought that up too because I, I also had that uh, scribbled in my notes because I was listening to the speaking podcast episode you did earlier today. And, and you mentioned that a little bit in there too about the whole teacher ego thing. How are ways, I guess, if, if you're instructing somebody or something, like how do you keep that in check either with yourself or with someone else, that whole teacher ego aspect? Well, with me, I don't care. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I just don't care, right? You know, you can think whatever you want of me. You've hired me to do a job and I'm just doing it the best I can. I don't have any, you know, I don't go home at night thinking, oh my God, I'm so bloody smart. <laughs> you know, that's just not how I am. I go home at night and have a glass of wine and think about what a fun day it was. So, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> and that's really it. I think you lead by example and you just make sure people understand that your motivation is pure and 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 then let people make their own decisions. Yeah. No, I think that's a great way to handle it for sure. Leading by example is is so powerful. Now, um, is there anything exciting on the horizon for you in terms of projects or anything that you're working on or upcoming events? Uh, You know, every day is like another fun day of stuff. So, (laughs) you know, I've got all these things in the future. I've got this, you know, this, this hour record I'm working on. I, I want to go back to Borrego Springs and do another six hour you know, record, course record, beat my course record from last year. And, you know, I have things on the bike that are interesting. I have, you know, a couple documentary projects that I'll probably not do, but are rolling around. And, <laughs> and mostly, you know, my days are dedicated to building UTD and building Coach Me Strong and, and just making sure that each day is fun, you know, and, and I don't get wrapped up in, in myself too much, you know, just mm-hmm. go have some fun, you know, find, find the, ways to build a lifestyle around work because I am still working full time, but I also can train, you know, 10, 15 hours a week. And, you know, I can cook a couple of nights a week with my wife and, you know, sit by the fire and I don't know, life's good, right? Because I decided it's going to be. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's so impressive that you still I work full time and then find the time to do all these different endeavors and this training for for the hour ride and just, I can't even wrap my head around it. That's I'm glad you're in. Well, you know, somebody said to me, I was at the track a couple of weeks ago and, and you know, we wrapping up and and said, all right, I got to get out of here. I got to get to work. And this woman looked at me and said, well, why are you still working? And I was like, Oh my God, it's so much fun. You know? And we talk about this. If I was going to retire tomorrow, nothing would change except I wouldn't make any money. So I might as well do what I'm having fun at anyway and, you know, take the cash. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, 
No, for sure. No, that's that's such a great way to live, though, honestly, because if you're if you're not thoroughly enjoying every moment that you're doing, even though you're say, having such a full schedule, I mean, you know, what's the point if if you're not having fun doing it? But no, that's that's obviously great to hear that you're having such a blast in everything that you're doing. It's hysterical fun. I mean, <laughs> you know, I own a scuba diving company and I, I own a coaching company that does really good work in the world and I ride my bike. <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, that that about sums it up for sure. Because yeah, yeah, pretty I, much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. Now, is there anything I forgot to ask about that you wanted to touch on before we get into plugins? Uh, no, this was fun. It's you know, of course, I I said that none of this is about ego, and I don't you know care about that. But it, it is always fun, of course, talking about me. Yeah. So you know, I don't <laughs> I don't want to be that Pollyanna about it, but you know, so I enjoy these conversations because. You know, I've I've got what I think is some stuff to offer, but I also have had so much fun doing it and getting down these roads and doing a few different careers that, you know, it's fun to share it and it's you know it's fun to be able to hopefully have people, you know, take a look and say, well, you know, I can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think my motivation on talking about myself is pretty pretty clean. <laughs> no, for sure. No, it, and yeah, it's it's definitely enjoyable too. Like I'm about to be on on a couple podcasts here coming up talking about some of the things I do with the running a marathon in all 50 states. And it's, it's fun to share those stories and talk about those things, not from a, a ego standpoint for myself, but also from my perspective, just showing how possible it is. Like I'm just a very regular guy who works a very regular job, but I just devote my, my free time and what little money I have left over after paying bills to traveling and having these experiences. And I'm just having a blast. And, you know, that might not be everyone's thing, but for anyone who's looking to do something like that, you know, just showing like, it's, it's very possible. And that's just kind of what I'm trying to do for it instead of just like a, Hey, look at all these cool things I'm doing, you know? I mean, well, I guess partially that, but I do like to tell the stories, but still like <laughs> I have a deeper point behind it. <laughs> so, uh, we had this conversation, my wife and I had this conversation the other day. We have a, a 10 year old grandson who's crazy fun and awesome. And, and, you know, we get him at Christmas toys and stuff and things and, and, you know, it's at a point where it's like, you know, the kids play with these toys for two hours and then they go in the pile. So we're really now focused on giving the kids, the grandkids experiences. Nice. Let's take them camping. Let's take them, you know, let's take them out of the country. Let's take them, you know, let's, let's introduce them to a bike. Let's introduce them to the woods. Let's introduce them to the ocean. And, you know, we're so much more focused now on experiences to hopefully guide these kids to the the joy that that we both find you know just living life to to a level that's fun and to a level that's powerful so you know that's that's what i love every day is that you know we just we bring experiences to people and i do it in my work too right we bring scuba to people we bring you know a, a powerful exercise program to people and that's you know it does a lot of good work in the world and makes me feel good and on and on and on it goes. Yeah. I, man, I love that tactic so much because I'm, I'm a very big experienced person as well. And I'm, I'm glad that you use uh, that tactic with your, with your grandkids. And um, I mean, just like, yeah, I'm forgetting who said the quote, but it was something along the lines of I've looked around my house and I've seen so many different things that I've regretted buying but thinking back on previous trips i've done i've never regretted a single one of them 
type yeah. thing. No, I agree. And with I, that. I, it's something I think about all the time, and that's kind of the lifestyle I live by as well. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like, you know, people ask me what I want for Christmas. It's like nothing. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I, every, I, I kind of have everything, right? What do I need? <laughs> A couple of bikes and laptop, you know? It's not that complex. Right. I'm glad I'm not the only one because I, I have the exact same issue. When, when people <laughs> ask, you know, what, what do you want for your birthday or what do you want for Christmas or whatever? Like, I never know what to tell them. I'm like, I, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> dinner. A super yeah. nice dinner, you know? Yeah. Nice bottle of wine. Nice dinner out, you know? An experience. Mm-hmm. Go have some experiences. Yeah. You know? Start, get back in the moment, right? Stop, stop worrying about tomorrow, yesterday. Just figure out today. For sure. No, so good. Oh, man. Now, where can people find more information about yourself, UTD Scuba Diving, Coach Me Strong, and anything else you want to plug? Uh, yeah, the websites are really simple, right? UTDScubadiving.com, CoachMeStrong.com. If you're really interested, JeffSecondorf.com. And that's it. Yeah. So if, you know, if you're interested in learning to be a scuba instructor, give me a call. If you are interested in getting stronger and you need a coaching program, you know, we take on people at every level uh, and every age. We just happen to be focused on Parkinson's as the niche. But Coach Me Strong is open to everybody for, you know, basic exercise coaching. And, uh, and yeah, whatever, you know, whatever looks like fun, just go do that. <laughs> Perfect. Sounds so so simple, right? It's like right. It sounds too simple. <laughs> it's just I know, it sounds too good to be true. No, but <laughs> but but no, but that's awesome. Uh no, seriously. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time for this. This is a blast. Yeah. You clearly have a very diverse background that all contribute to the work that you do with UTD scuba diving and coach me strong. And I think the work you do is very important and inspirational. And I wish you nothing but the best in all of your future endeavors, all that that training for that hour ride that you're doing and just all of the 10,000 things that you have in the works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate it all and, and grateful to be here and have the conversation with you. And for sure, best of luck on the 50 runs. Thank you. That's a crazy, crazy goal and and, and a challenge that I, I now knowing you a little bit, I assume you're going to rise to, you know, in the best possible way. So I wish you all the best on that one. Thank you. Yeah, um, I am. I've currently done 15 states. By the time this airs, I'll be at 16 states. Granted that nothing crazy happens with cancellations or anything, because actually that happened with uh, <laughs> with one back in Alabama in December that ended up getting canceled due to the weather. So hopefully I didn't jinx myself there, but <laughs> hopefully I'll be at <laughs> yeah. 16 by the time this episode airs. And see, halfway to you're, you're like halfway to halfway. <laughs> right there you go yep slowly chipping away at them but yeah no yep. it's been it's been a journey and and um and you've definitely had a very interesting journey yourself with everything you've been doing but yeah no this is so much fun and yeah thanks again for everything and you have a good rest of your evening and you good thanks again all right take care Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. Links to Jeff's websites and socials can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for Juxtapose Journeys wherever you stream your podcast. And maybe tell a friend or two about the show. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated, and it helps the show reach more listeners. 
It also keeps new episodes coming out. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. Or you can find Juxtaposed Journeys on Podmatch and request an interview that way. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner. And music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Final mixing and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.